The Food and Drug Administration is facing an important deadline, the first of its kind under President Biden. The agency has until April 29th to decide on whether or not to ban menthol cigarettes. For many years, the FDA has considered a crackdown on these minty-flavored tobacco products. It's the most popular cigarette flavoring by far, menthol. It masks the taste of tobacco, providing what Camels calls a cool burst. Doctors and public health experts have warned that the products make it easier to start smoking, harder to quit, and disproportionately harm African Americans. And yet, the FDA hasn't, up to this point, moved forward with a menthol cigarette ban for a few different reasons. They've faced opposition from the tobacco industry, for one, but they've also faced opposition from Republicans, Democrats, and some civil rights groups who worry that banning menthol could lead to police crackdowns targeting Black Americans for selling illegal cigarettes. Tobacco has been a common theme in recent conflicts between African Americans and police that have led to the deaths of Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, and George Floyd. In recent days, though, pressure has ramped up from other civil rights organizations and African-American health groups to ban menthol cigarettes, accusing the tobacco industry of targeting Black communities for decades. The White House is weighing next steps. And according to Washington Post reporting, President Biden is almost certain to be involved in the decision. The public health arguments are straightforward, but the political considerations are more complicated. So will the Biden administration be able to strike a balance between politics and public health to regulate menthol cigarettes? And what are the implications if they do? This is Can He Do That, a podcast exploring the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. The history of the government and tobacco is a long and much contested one. That's Keith Waylu, a history and public affairs professor at Princeton University and author of the forthcoming book, Pushing Cool, Big Tobacco, Racial Marketing, and the Untold Story of the Menthol Cigarette. In terms of regulatory oversight, it might be surprising to know that for most of the 20th century, the government played very little role in regulating the sale and commercial features of tobacco. Tobacco was not thought of as either a food or a drug, so it didn't fall under FDA authority. And insofar as there was regulation, the FCC and the Federal Trade Commission exercised authority on things like health marketing and deception and these kinds of features as it would in the commercial realm more generally. So it's really 2009 that the legislation that Barack Obama signed into law finally gave the FDA regulatory authority over tobacco products. That legislation is the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act. In 2009, it gave the FDA regulatory authority over tobacco products. But it also did something else. It gave the FDA power to evaluate the public health science around a menthol ban and to ultimately make a decision. In 2011, the FDA concluded that the removal of menthol cigarettes from the marketplace would benefit public health. And in 2013, the agency released a report that said menthol cigarettes lead to increased smoking initiation, greater addiction, and decreased success in quitting meaning young people usually start with menthol. So if you want to really reduce young people smoking, if you ban 
all the kind of tutti frutti flavored vapes and and cigarillos and and menthol cigarettes, that's a good place to start. That's Washington Post reporter Laura Riley. She's been covering this story and explained why the FDA has put off making a decision and why they're facing a deadline now. The citizen's petition was brought years ago, and then a lawsuit was brought kind of end of last year saying, this is taking too long. You were told to consider this policy change, and you've stalled. So it's a lawsuit and the citizen's petition. So by April 29th, they will say either we need more information or there isn't sufficient information to determine that menthol cigarettes are more dangerous or more detrimental to Americans' health than regular cigarettes, or they will say, we are going to ban menthol. And this decision, like any tobacco-related policy, is a point of contention in Washington. There is a long and complicated relationship between the tobacco industry and Congress. The industry, which you won't be surprised to know, is very influential in Congress. That's Professor Keith Whaley again. Has also been a generous funder of Democrats as well as Republicans, those in tobacco-growing states. And the main holdup for banning menthol cigarettes came from a subset of the Congressional Black Caucus, who accepted the industry's argument that to ban menthol cigarettes would somehow be discriminatory against African-American smokers. That is to say that they looked at the history of targeted marketing, which has produced disproportionate menthol smoking among black smokers. And they saw that not as the byproduct of targeted marketing, but as a history of group choice. And really, in some ways, doing the work of the industry made the successful argument that there should be a menthol exception. And in some ways, we are living with the consequences of that decision 12 years later. You mentioned the history of targeted marketing around menthols. Can you tell me more about who was targeted and with what kinds of messages? The history of menthol targeted messaging is long. It's a twisting, winding road, and it's very complicated. It's menthol, but not too much menthol. Here. I don't smoke menthol cigarettes, but okay. In tests all over the country, thousands of menthol smokers preferred Capri filter longs more than two to one over their present brand. You're right, Charlie. I like them. There is a long and robust history of health marketing with tobacco products. That is to say, most consumers know menthol as a product that's associated with lozenges, with ointments, and with that distinctive feeling of that cool, refreshing feel in your nose and your throat. And the history of menthol marketing in cigarettes is the history of in some ways taking that sensation and marrying it to a cigarette in the name of actually producing a healthier cigarette. Discover extra coolness in your smoke. Let cools come through for you. Like him? Maybe it is my day. You'll be smoking cools all the time. Once you come up to cool. Come up to cool for the most refreshing coolness you can get in any cigarette. The history of targeted marketing, you might say, goes through the stage of menthol marketing as a health product, deceptively so, to the history of youth appeal. The Flintstones, brought to you by Winston, America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. Uh, Winston tastes good, like a cigarette should 
To the different brands that are trying to define different subsets of the market along lines of race or gender and location. The byproduct of this long history is that you have particular menthol markets and the most prominent these days, given the disproportionate smoking of menthol brands by African-American smokers, is the Africanization of certain menthol cigarette brands. Have these targeted campaigns led to higher rates of smoking among the Black community? They have. You can actually identify the early to mid-1960s as a period during which the industry writ large Uh, But particular companies are making deliberate decisions to move more aggressively into black-themed advertising, whether that's through advertising in college newspapers at a time when colleges were segregated, whether it's through black-themed radio programs, or whether it's in the form of advertising aggressively in African-American daily periodicals, newspapers. And so one can actually track the dramatic uptick. And then one can see how the success for one company leads other companies to emulate those practices. So whereas in 1960, you might have had maybe less than 10 menthol brands, by 1970, you're pushing upwards towards like 30 menthol brands. All of them are really aggressively experimenting with how you target particular markets in cities that are also becoming increasingly majority African-American or having larger proportions of their population that are black. And then there's one other step that this takes, which is that when the U.S. Congress bans mass marketing on radio and television, this actually produces another round of targeted marketing by way of posters, public transportation, imagery, and billboards, which then also become the source of intense pushback from communities. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Black Americans smoke less than white Americans in general, but Black men have the highest rates of lung cancer in the country. That's according to the CDC. What's more, the number one cause of preventable death among African Americans is tobacco use. It claims 45,000 Black lives each year. The history of menthol marketing and the tobacco industry's influence has brought us to the question facing the FDA today, to move forward with a ban or not. I wanted to better understand the perspectives on all sides of this question. So I went back to reporter Laura Riley and asked, why do advocates say they want to ban menthol cigarettes? Well, there is a mounting body of research on menthol that says menthol cigarettes, they allow for deeper inhalation. The menthol itself, the mintiness is like an anesthetic. You know, you remember Vicks Vapor Rub when you didn't feel well or Icy Hot? Those are mentholated products that are anesthetics, basically. So the introduction of menthol to a cigarette allows some of the harshness to not be perceived. In addition to that, 
it's been found that it that the menthol activates more nicotine receptors in the brain. Uh, it enhances the penetration of nicotine, and it keeps nicotine in the body longer. So, and, and the cigarette industry is basically said, "Oh, those are not true, or those are not good studies." But there's a lot of evidence to indicate that menthol cigarettes are. They're not more toxic by themselves, but that makes it much easier to start and much harder to quit. So then what are the arguments against banning menthol cigarettes? So obviously there's been pushback from the tobacco industry, from senators, legislators in states like North Carolina that are still big tobacco states. And then interestingly, there's been a lot of pushback from civil rights groups. Part of the issue and part of the reason a lot of civil rights groups are not keen on this is that... 85% of black smokers smoke menthol and 29% of white smokers. So if you wholesale ban this for all the people who are long time addicted to smoking, it seems kind of punitive, you know? And so it's kind of another way of, of taking something away from the black community. Even if it's something that kills us, a lot of people argue that it will cause more tension points with police and cause there to be a black market for this thing. So I think that a lot of people are, are cognizant that if it happens, that it needs to be gentle. There need to be good cessation programs, especially in black neighborhoods, because as we know, if you've ever smoked, it's really hard to quit. How involved has Biden been in this decision-making around whether or not the FDA will will ban menthol cigarettes? Was, has the Biden administration responded publicly about this? Well, interestingly, so obviously the Biden administration has had a lot to do in the past couple of months. So, you know, this may not have been at the top of their list, but yesterday we started hearing that the Biden administration, in addition to considering this menthol ban, they are considering whether to decrease the nicotine in cigarette, in all cigarettes, to a level so that it's not addictive. So to me, that indicates a pretty serious anti-smoking agenda. And, you know, certainly I think there's the political will. You know, we've seen remarkably different health outcomes for white and black Americans in the pandemic. And a lot of that has to do with comorbidities. People who have pre-existing conditions make them more likely to go to go to the hospital for COVID, makes them more likely to have a bad outcome with COVID. So if if these cigarettes have been marketed in this very predatory way to black Americans, the idea that for years there were cigarettes specifically, brands specifically marketed to Black Americans. Uptown, Menthol X that had like Malcolm X packaging. Camel Menthols had kind of a, a caricature African-American camel. Here, Laura is referring to a marketing campaign in 1995 when the cigarette brand Menthol X launched with images linked to the human rights activist Malcolm X. And another campaign in 1997 when Camel Cigarettes marketed a, quote, smooth Joe Camel menthol in Black communities. Researchers have also found tobacco companies offer cheaper pricing and better deals on menthol cigarettes in black neighborhoods. It's not subtle, these kinds of uh, agendas for on, the, on the part of big tobacco. So I think that there is increasingly a sense in which this is another leg of systemic racism. Is it unusual for a substance issue like this to rise to the level of the presidency, to rise to the level of something that the president is weighing in on? 
Well, no, I think we've seen that the past bunch of presidency. I mean, Obama definitely in 2009, there was fairly significant legislation passed, which the irony is that he was a smoker, right? Do you believe the new law would help you to quit? If so, why? Well, uh, uh, first of all, the new law that was put in place is not about me. It's about the next generation of kids coming up. So I think it's fair, Margaret, to just say that you just think it's neat to ask me about my smoking as opposed to it being relevant to my new law. But that's fine. I understand. It's it's a, it's a interesting human it's a interesting human interest story. Actually Trump also changed the age the smoking age from 18 to 21. So it's definitely anything that kills a lot of Americans and that has no positive qualities. I mean you could say that eating processed food causes a lot of death, but food is a necessity that we all have to avail ourselves of. So cigarettes, there really is no redeeming value. So will next week's deadline finally force the federal government to make a decision on banning menthol, a decision that it's been putting off since 2009? And what happens if they choose a ban? There's no doubt that there will be resistance and there'll be resistance along a number of lines. Fortunately, there are the same kinds of forces that led to the menthol exception, seem to have declined somewhat in Congress, although they still remain very active elsewhere. But there will certainly be resistance from the industry and resistance from representatives from tobacco-growing parts of the country, like North Carolina, which see the question of tobacco consumption not through the lens primarily of public health, but through the lens of commerce and revenue and economic welfare. And this is inevitably going to be part of the tension. There will be certainly legal pushback as well. But as I mentioned before, this is a fight where the Evidence is on the side of really removing this product. Entire nations have banned menthol by this point. Localities have banned menthol. And in my view, it's, if not inevitable, then it's certainly a desirable next step for the administration to head in this direction. I do think that there seems to be mounting enthusiasm for that nicotine reduction idea, and if not a full menthol ban, a partial menthol ban, especially given all of the the mounting evidence that if you can curb young people from starting smoking, once they get into their 30s, they're not going to start then. So if you can remove the things that are very enticing to young smokers, you know, you may have the next generation that just they don't take it up and it doesn't do anything for the millions of of smokers who are addicted now, but it certainly is a way of nipping things in the bud. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? We're excited to share that our limited series that we did back in October on the legacy of the Trump administration has been nominated for a Webby Award. Please help us win by voting for the show. We'll post the link to vote in our show notes. And as always, thanks for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.